<clears throat> you ready? All right, thanks for having me. Um, I gave Pastor Bader a, a couple of uh, options um, for Bible classes, and he chose this one. Um, probably no way we're going to get through um, the whole thing. Um, the service was too long, right? It's like 11... <laughs> already, you know, I know it. Well, I, I normally preach like seven minutes. I know this guy's like a half an hour, so I'm like, I gotta meet, I gotta meet him in the middle, you know? All right. <laughs> All right. So, when God created Adam and Eve, he said this, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And then later, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So um, I teach college students, and I also uh, help out at a high school. So in the afternoons, I sometimes walk the seven blocks to... Uh, this high school in Milwaukee, and I teach seniors there. And one of the questions I like to ask both groups is, um, why, should, um, why should I respect you? Or what makes you different than the squirrels? And I was here uh, in the fall, we did a little bit of this, when we did apologetics, but we'll take a little different direction. Um, what makes a human being worthy of life? We talk about rights all the time. I got this right, you got this right, all that kind of stuff. And um, it's fascinating to me when I ask the question, what's the difference between you and a squirrel, uh, that most of them get the answer wrong. No. Yeah. And uh, I, they think they know the answer. Um, and then I play devil's advocate and shoot everyone down. There's always some smart kid that already knows the answer, then I tell him to shut up, you're ruining my, you're ruining my thing here. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, sometimes they'll say, because we have a soul, to which I say, so what? And I'll also say, what's to say that your puppy dog at home doesn't have a soul. We're not told either way. What's to say that there is not even a non-physical spiritual thing in the plant? I'll make the case for that. Yeah. So I dismiss that one. And then they'll say, well, we have reason. And I say, oh yeah, have you been paying attention? <laughs> right? But I'll say, I'll, there's, a, a, there's a study of this bird um, I don't know what type of bird, but they, they, put a, they put a jar with a worm in there and the bird couldn't get, it, get in there. There was water in there and it couldn't get in there. And the bird started putting stones one by one to lift the water up to grab. That's reason. I mean, I would have been walking around with uh, my thing on my hand, you know? That's reason. So I don't think that's good enough. Um, we can think of other things, too, that we have wonderment. I think this actually one is, is actually a big deal. This actually may be the closest. Um, because the squirrels don't lay in the, in the lawn at night into the night sky and wonder what it would be like to go to the moon. But we did, and we did something about it. Right? 
I think that's something that does make us a little bit different than the animals. What I'm trying to finally get at is if you do not get to the point of using the language image of God, you don't really have a basis for human rights. Um, because we could always say, mm, maybe, maybe. Um, if it's reason, what if, um, what if um, you are not reasonable because of some disease, Alzheimer's or something like that? Right? Um, you see there's a problem there. And so the difference is, is the, the reason for my value outside of me or is it come from inside of me? So how do you think a high schooler would answer that question where they find their value? Almost all of them are going to say inside of me, right? Believe in yourself, be yourself, do all of these things, right? It's always a curved inward kind of thing. And I think it ends up being quite uh, sad when you, especially on social media, when you hear people go way out of their way to let you know that they don't care what you think about them because their value is inside of themselves, right? And uh, I had one girl that we went back and forth on this, and I said, I said, anybody who says they don't care what other people think is lying. And she insisted that she didn't care about what I thought over and over and over again. And then I said, but why are you telling me this? Right? Why are you telling me this? Now, I still lost the argument, but um, I was trying to be sympathetic and say, I understand, like, you shouldn't base your, your value on society and stuff like that. But if you base your value on something that's inside of yourself, well, aren't you a part of society? I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? And that's even worse, because either you go down the road of narcissism or honest despair, and you look at only your flaws. There has to be this thing that says, but God said I'm valuable. <laughs> That's why I'm valuable. Like, you have no rights on your own. I don't think you deserve, like, the word deserve is crazy. You don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. I didn't do anything to earn life. I had no decision. I had no part of that decision. Right? I had no part of that decision. I don't, I don't deserve any of it. Unless God says he's deserving. Now I have a basis for human rights and stuff like this. So, um, when we read Genesis 1 and 2, um, in our post-Darwin world, post-evolution world, we get all worked up about 24, uh, six 24-hour days in different species, fine. But we miss the whole point. Now, I think I have my timeline right, and that is uh, Moses wrote that before Charles Darwin. Yeah? <laughs> he did not have Charles Darwin in mind, but he had something else in mind. So when you read Genesis 1 and 2, if you, would, if, you would, if you were an English teacher and you would ask this question, what point is Moses trying to make? Look at the words. What word does he repeat over and over and over again? That it's good. It's very good. He says good, 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 to the point where you're like, we get it, right? It's good. Well, the reason for that is because in the ancient world, even into the Greek world, uh, the body was seen as bad, it was cursed. And this world was cursed, and you as a part of this world were cursed. Yeah? And 
Um, because of that, you were in this situation where you had the god or the gods or whatever, however you were going to uh, come up with this idea. And you had to make the gods happy because God had cursed you with this physical world. Some would even say there was an evil god that created this world, which you could totally get because they live in a world without morphine. Right? Like, I don't know if you notice this, but... <clears throat> We sub out our death. We contract our death. We take grandma to the nursing home and then eventually to hospice. Even, even maybe 100 years ago, um, grandma without morphine was in your living room, if not your bedroom that you shared with her. With that tumor pressing upon her brain that nobody could diagnose, and she's screaming in the middle of the night, right? And so living in that world, you, you have a short lifespan, and it's painful, and it's rough, and everything's difficult. Everything's difficult. Even eating for getting enough food for tomorrow is difficult for most people, right? And so you could totally understand that, that this is a curse that God has given me, this body, right? And the goal seems to be get, to get out of the body, Right? To get out of the body. And here along comes Moses and says, good, 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 good. And it's a game changer. It really is. And when John wrote his Genesis, uh, uh, known as John chapter 1, when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and eventually he said the Word took on flesh, made his dwelling among us, he was fighting against the Greek idea of the same, same meaning, that you are cursed with this body. This has long, long-standing ramifications for us. It means that um, the body in itself is not evil. It's only corrupted because of sin. It means you get to enjoy this world, right? God is not anti this world. He's not anti-alcohol. He's not anti-sex. He's not anti-food. He's not anti-fun. He's not anti-any of those things. He's just putting parameters in his Ten Commandments around those gifts so that you don't ruin them by becoming addicted to them, right? They become your gods. The other lasting uh, ramification of that is um, the honor to me and my body, that this is an honorable thing. Corrupted because of sin, but an honorable thing that will be resurrected one day. Um, so the, the ancient Near East sort of kind of went like this. So uh, God's pretty angry because we see, you know, the tornado and the hurricane and uh, the famine. Therefore, uh, we need to make God happy. God's hangry, yeah? And so we're going to give him some wine and some bread and some tasty animals, and we burn it up so it goes up to God, yeah? Now, if God is uh, still angry... Uh, you need a better sacrifice, and what's more valuable than an animal? A person. And what's the most valuable person? Child. So it's actually not that far of a logical leap to child sacrifice. And notice how close they are, and yet how far the ancients were in this. It would be a child. It would be the one and only child of God. Right? Uh, they got it. They got the law but they didn't get the gospel. So what they would do, and I know some of you were here in, in fall and I did this, but uh, they would build a house of God, we'll call it a temple, and then they would put God in his house. 
And, and most of them understood that this isn't actually God or it's a manifestation of God or it's God taking on some sort of form or whatever. But they made a statue of their God called an image of God. So Moses doesn't really, we think, coin the phrase image of God. That was hanging around, this image of God. So we, we have a building like this and you would have a, a statue, and it often would be on wheels, so you could parade it around. The image of God is going around, yes, and you bow down to it and stuff like that. And uh, everybody knew that there was a sculptor that made that image of God, but the theology was behind it, that this was God or something similar, some image of God that just all of a sudden came and manifest itself among the people. And so the, the sculptor, after he was done, would go through uh, often a... Um, um, a ceremony where he would fake cut off his hands. And he would say, of course, I, did, I didn't build this statue, I didn't sculpt this statue, see, I don't even have any hands anymore, right? And it's all kind of this spiritual sort of liturgical thing to say, this is God's house, this is the image of God, you go into the presence of God and you grovel, and you grovel, and you give things to this God so that that God would then bless you. So now when you read Genesis 1 and 2 with that in mind, how do you read it? You read God building a temple. It's got a ceiling, the sky, it put, he puts lights in there, the sun and the moon and the stars. He puts a floor, the firmament. He, puts, uh, he, he decorates right, with the foliage, and he, he designs it with seas and land. He populates it, and he makes it this beautiful thing. And then what's the last thing he does after building his temple with the ceiling and decoration and a floor? He puts in the image. But the image of God is actually you. He has honored humanity in a way that the ancient Near East would have thought bonkers crazy. That's why he wrote Genesis 1 and 2 that way. Not to fight Charles Darwin, but to fight in a time and an idea that says two things. One, human beings don't have value. Three things. Number two, the body is bad and the creation is bad. And number three, the job of humanity is to make the gods happy. He's flipped it completely upside down. And if you don't get that about yourself or about your society, you're not going to have human rights. You're just not going to have human rights, right? So um, I'll stop there and see if anybody wants to, to say anything or make a comment or a question. Um, here's maybe a question that you want to bring up eventually, and we'll see if we have time, is we're talking a lot about identity in our world right now. Yeah? And uh, a lot of this has to do with the, the image talk, the image bearing, and I would say baptism too. Uh, maybe just one thing before uh, the theologians in the room get angry at me. Um, that's all of you remember. Yeah. Um, when we as Lutheran theologians talk about the image of God, we mean that in two different ways. The broad way is... Um, everybody's an image bearer and is deserving of value, deserving of respect, deserving of love, precisely because God said so. God gave them value by creating them in the image of God. 
That's the broad sense. The narrow sense is the image of God is the righteousness of God. Yeah? The image of God was lost in the fall, but given back in Christ. Yeah? Now, <clears throat> when we talk about the image of God that way, we're just talking about salvation. We're talking about, and let me, let me, let me take the long way around. We're talking about the original righteousness that Adam and Eve were born with. This is an important point we need to make over and over and over again. It's not that Adam and Eve were born, were born neutral, and God's like, let's see what they choose. They were born with righteousness. They were born right with God. We call that original righteousness. Notice that righteousness is a gift, just like life was a gift. Adam and Eve did not choose to live, nor did they choose to be born righteous. Righteousness is always a gift. They forfeit that righteousness by saying, I think I can be right and I think I can be valuable by myself. Thank you very much. And so they eat. They eat of the wrong tree, and they lose the original righteousness. Now they have what's going to be the sinful corruption that is now going to become original sin to us. right? And then the whole point of the Bible from Genesis 3.15 is God trying to give us righteousness back. And the whole story of the Bible is us trying to say, nah, I think I'd rather do it my way. Yeah? So your righteousness before God, you will know, is through Christ alone. You didn't do anything. But just in the very sense of it, that righteousness cannot... It's, it's always a gift. It's always a gift. Okay. So what I'm talking about today is the, righteous, the, the image of God that is everybody. And the way we put the two together is to say, okay... I lost the original righteousness because of sin. Christ makes me a saint, and so now I have the, the image of God restored, the original righteousness. But that doesn't mean that my atheist neighbor is somehow less than me. No, he still bears the image of God, and all that comes with that, wonderment, rationality, that kind of stuff. And even though there is not the exact image of God, there's still what we call like a shell. Right? There's, still, there's still something there, right? uh, still reasonable, still uh, designated as a human being, all that kind of stuff. All right, let's do Aristotle. All right, Aristotle. And the reason I like to do this is because I think it's helpful to understand Greek thought and then to say it's really, really good, but it's missing one component. Okay, so I know I did this before, um, but... Um, if I, if I gave you a rock, I said you have to choose dead or alive, you would all say dead. And so this is the material level. So the description is, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's a rock. An example would be a rock. Then we have the, what I call the planter vegetation level. There's something different than even your potted plant and the rock. And if I said, what's the difference between the potted plant and the rock? You'd have to say it has life. Well, now we got a problem because how do you define life? Life is notoriously hard to define. 
I can point at it and say that's alive. I can say this is what life looks like. I have all sorts of descriptions about it. I can say this is alive or this is dead. But you can't go to uh, UCLA, uh, you know, medical, uh, medical college, and on, you know, on the shelf they'll have a jar of life. It's hard to pinpoint what life is. Aristotle and the Greeks said, well, life moves. And I like this, it moves. And I, and I think St. Paul has this in mind when he talks about the Word of God being a double-edged sword. And in Romans chapter 1 saying it's, a, it's the power of God to save. And the word, the Greek word there for power is dynamis, is where we get dynamite, but also dynamic. And so if I said somebody's dynamic, you may say they got some juice. They move. Got something. Right? They move. The Word of God moves, does something, right? And so life and movement were tied in the Greek thought. And I, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that, right? There's something there. And when, when, when I try to define life, what is life? Can I put life in a jar and show you it? I can't. And that seems to me that it's of the spiritual realm. If you don't like the word spiritual because it's too churchy, that's fine. If you want life force, if you want something else, that's fine. But what we're saying is, is there's something that's more than physical that makes the plant the plant and the rock the rock. It's got life. And so the plant thing is stuff plus life. And your fern at home is an example of that. Now, some of you may talk to your plants. That's fine, right? But normally we don't do that. But a lot of you, I bet, talk to your pets. Yeah? So what's the difference between the, the plant and the animal? Well, the animal is also stuff plus life, but now plus consciousness, awareness, something, right? I'm not yet, I'm not going to call them a person because the word person has philosophical and legal things attached to it that we would not apply to an animal. It's not a person, and yet it's somehow aware. I have 100% no problem thinking that Fido has a soul. In fact, I don't know any other way to think about it. Uh, the Bible talks about it as the soulish animals. Yeah, like the, you know, the, the, the ones that are the beasts of the field. It doesn't go so far as to say it as a soul. But it's got something. It's got something. And, it, and it, ain't just, it ain't just physical. If you don't want to call it a soul, that's fine. But it's got something. It's got something. And, and I would go so far as to say, so does the tree. It's not a, it's not a person with a personality. But it's got something. It's got something that's not physical and material. Okay, so now the big question that we have to get right, what's the difference between you and your puppy dog? And if we don't get this right, you know, genocide. Right? Because that's exactly what happened in the 20th century. If we are just animals, if we're just material, if we don't have value given to us from an outside source, and and there's no, there's no absolute morality, then I have no reason to not, to, to not kill you if you're in my way. Because we do it all the time. 
Oh, maybe I don't go out and I don't strangle the bunny rabbit in Cuneo Valley. But I build a house and I spray and I move them out. And what's the difference between doing that and doing that with a group of people that's in the way of the freeway? Or in the way of the fatherland taking over Europe? Not much. Not much. So we have to get this question right. What's the difference between me and the squirrel? Right? And this is where you list all the things. Well, I got a soul. I'm reasonable. Are you? Um, I'm moral. Okay, there's one that's, that's, that's I think, pretty powerful. Moral. Um, you know, there's a reason why we don't throw the cat into kitty prison if it kills a mouse. But you'd throw me into prison if I killed one of you. Right? There is a difference there. But are there things in the animal kingdom that sort of reflect some sort of love or morality? Maybe we'll find out that the animals were a little bit more complicated than we thought. Right? So I don't want to base it just on that. And I think you have to get to the point where you have to base it on something outside of yourself, and that is the image of God. Right? And so how would Aristotle answer this question? He would say, the human being is, is, is material stuff plus life plus awareness. And then he would say self-awareness, right? Self-awareness. The squirrels don't go around asking if their butts look big in that, in that outfit. <laughs> but we do, right? The squirrel, I, I got a problem with chipmunks and squirrels in my yard, like to the point where they're eating concrete and stuff. And I've killed... I did the thing where like, I took the chipmunks and I took them across the freeway into a park and then they just come back. So, I, so now I kill them. I, I kill them. I kill them and um, I'm losing the battle. Uh, I've gotten four this year. Um, there's dozens more and they kill my plants and, and it's just a menace. And I would, we have a very big backyard and if, uh, they're just animals, ah, you know? And if I would like to sit down with their king and say, you can have the whole backyard. Just don't, just don't eat my concrete. And don't eat my, my flowers, you know? But they don't care. They're not aware of, of what's going on. Do you see the difference, right? They're not aware. I would totally make a deal with them, but they're not self-aware. Nor are they moral creatures. They don't care one bit that they cost me money, right? So there is something to say about Aristotle saying the difference between the animal and us is that we are self-aware, right? But I think if I'm just self-aware and I'm honest about who I am, I'm not sure if I really feel valuable about myself. And so there's a grace aspect here, too, that the image of God is a gift. Okay. Um, what time do you want me to end? Already? Okay, all right. I think everything... <laughs> Phil, Phil's not happy. Phil just went like that. Phil's hungry. Phil, it's 2 o'clock Wisconsin time. Yes, all right, okay. <laughs> all right, let me give you two more things, and then I'll be done, and I'll get you, I'll get you out of here, Chris, unless there's a comment or a question. Uh, we, we won't really play it out a little, little bit about identity and stuff, but just think about this, that 
everybody's seeking for an identity. And if God doesn't give you the identity, then you have to make it up yourself. That is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for narcissism. It's a recipe for suicidal thoughts. It's a recipe for a lot of things. So everybody's trying to choose their own, not just their own adventure, but their own identity. You're not allowed to do that. And I don't say that as to sh you know, the Christian wagging my finger at society. I'm just saying, that's like you saying, I choose life. No, you didn't. You can choose death. But you, by definition, could not have chosen life. Nor can you choose righteousness. And I would suggest you cannot choose your identity. This is, by definition, an incorrect thing to choose identity. It's a, it's a category mistake. So um, your identity is image of God, redeemed child of God in baptism. That's your identity. That is your identity. And by the way, that doesn't change, nor can anybody take it away from you. Right? So when people are, are going down in our society and, and saying, I'm going to choose my own identity, this, that, I don't, I, I don't get angry. I feel very sad. I feel very sad that they're looking inside of themselves to do what only God can do. How disappointing that will end up. When you ask of yourself or your nation state or your family or anything else to do what only God can do for you, you will be sadly disappointed. You'll be sadly disappointed, right? Because if you try to choose your own identity and try to make everybody else then succumb to your decision, um, first of all, how are you going to do that? Second of all, you're constantly just fighting this war, right? And you're going to be very unhappy. All right. I would like to give you two uh, made-up Latin words. <clears throat> uh, one is homo justificans, and the other one is homo liturgicus. Uh, this is what's really going in, on in our world right now, and has been going on in our world since, since Adam and Eve. And that is, we are the types of beings, homo, that try to justify ourselves, justificans. Justificans means to justify, um, it also means to be righteous. Those are the same words in most languages, righteousness and justification. You are the type of being that wants to be right. The squirrel doesn't care about being right. I care about being right. I care about being right so much, so much, that I will annoy my wife by telling her that I've done more chores than she has done. Um, by the way, this explains all of the internet. And we want to be right. Nobody woke up today and said, I hope I'm wrong or devalued today. You want to be right. And then the quickest way to be right is to prove yourself uh, right over against somebody who is wrong. Yep. So um, here we are in this tragic situation where we are trying to be righteous by ourselves. Another way to say that is self-righteous. Yeah. And the tragedy is, A, I cannot be righteous by myself, and I don't have to be, because Christ is righteous in my place. Now, this is not, this is not unique, this idea is not unique to Christianity. Um, many secular psychologists will say the thing that drives us more than anything else is, that, is righteousness as a human species. 
that we, we desire to be right and we desire to be righteous. And um, they try to explain it away as having some sort of evolutionary benefit, but like many of those things, they turn, it turns on society. And so this is how they describe everything going on in our world right now. Cancel culture, all that kind of stuff, right? It's a race to who is morally superior, isn't it? That's all it is. That's all it is. I don't really think it has anything to do with people actually caring about the issues. It's just a race to, to moral su superiority. It's all it is. It's all it is. And if I can grab onto a cause and I can shove that cause down your throat, uh, that, that, that fulfills that, that desire to be homo justificans. The second thing about what a human being is is that we worship. We are homo liturgicus. Everybody worships. Again, this is not just a, a Christian idea or a religious idea. This is a secular idea as well. David Foster Wallace, anybody? Anybody? Yeah, all right. Uh, he, this is his main point, right? That uh, we all worship, and the thing that we worship becomes our number one, our God, and we hold on to it. We hold on to it, and we either kill it or it'll kill us. Yeah? So when we worship we uh, make that thing number one in our life. Could be your family. Uh, could be a politician. Could be a political party. Could be your nation state. Um, it could be yourself. It could be money. It could be any number of things. And the thing that you love, this is how you know what you love. Your time and your energy go to it. That's how you know what you love, right? I teach a worship class, and one of the first assignments is they're supposed to take a liturgical audit. And I said, where does your money go? And where does your, where, look at your calendar. What holidays do you celebrate? Is Black Friday more important than Good Friday? By the way, I, in catechism class, way back when, when I still taught catechism class, I spent a whole day convincing the kids that Black Friday was not Good Friday. Just couldn't get it through their heads, right? Notice there's competing calendars, right? And so where does your time go? What holidays are important to you? Where, where does your money, your offerings go? What are your traditions, right? I mean, some people couldn't care less about the flag or whatever like that, but every week they go on vacation to whatever mountain. That's the week they do that, right? And that's nothing wrong with that, but if that becomes your only thing, right? That is the thing you love, and that becomes your God. But all those other gods are like those pagan gods that Moses wrote against. They'll take, and they'll take, and they'll take, and they'll never love you back. And you'll never be satisfied. Even if you climb to the top of the mountain, you'll say, is that it? There's only one God who can love you, give you value, give you his image, and it's Yahweh. All right? Is that good enough, Pastor Bader? How do we grow in our, image, in our ability to view people primarily with this image of God? I, we don't love anything more, I think, as human beings than justice, right? What is yep. fair? Yep, victim and oppressor, yes. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm thinking like, 
So we'll look at the mom who has an abortion and we'll say, what well, evil woman, what a poor child. Yeah. How do we see the woman as still image of God or uh, illegal immigration? Yeah. Or I'm thinking of the, the people who died in the summer this week. Yeah. And that was easy pickings for people to make fun of because all these rich people and yeah. We didn't even we didn't even wait for them to be buried before yeah. we buried them. How how do we grow in our ability? Because th- I think this is you even heard the backlash this week from people saying how inhumane do you have to be that you're mocking people who have died in such a tragic way? There's something in us that says that's not right, that's not fair. It's like this really should be something that as Christians we're we're kind of holding the candle and the flag for. So how do we grow in our ability to do that? Yeah, I think we need to talk about the image of God a heck of a lot more in the church. Um, I, would, I would, since I'm a vocation guy, I would talk about vocation as a Christological endeavor, that the waiter that serves you at lunch or dinner today is Christ serving you. I think uh, finding my value in uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, that we're saved by grace alone, but also that God has used me, right? I made him, he's made me his workmanship. If I can value myself, this sounds bad, but if I can understand that God values me in my menial tasks, then I'm more apt to see something else like that. Uh, this may sound controversial, and I'm sure it is, but I'm not the pastor here and I'm leaving, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's chastise ourselves here and let's get over America is the best thing that ever happened to the world. Um, I can remember being doing a jail service in Minnesota in the middle of winter and there was a Mexican immigrant, she had to be at least 65, scared out of her wits. And the only other woman in that little county jail was a Lakota Indian. And uh, I couldn't talk to her. I felt really bad for not taking more Spanish. And, and I'm like, there, she's probably fleeing corruption and violence. How can, now, I'm not making a political statement here. I understand that there are you know, people who are like, the borders don't matter. And closer, I mean, obviously, there needs to be a middle ground. Hello. Can somebody please be an adult in the room on these issues? Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, I cry out for her. She is human. She's suffering. It's compassion. I would say the theology of the cross, right? That the more you suffer, you are then going to be more compassionate for somebody else and to see that as a blessing when you suffer. Um, I think losing the conservative liberal labels of the church would be helpful too so that we don't feel like we have to say the right political thing, but we can, we, can, we can speak to the humanity of somebody without, like I did today, without saying, oh, that guy is a, you know, whatever. Is that fair enough? Yes, yes sir. Years ago, some years ago, there was a book about a guy named Siddhartha. This guy's constant search through all these things of what the real meanings of, and he couldn't find it because he was only looking in himself and not out of it. 
Yeah, so the, the comment there is a, a book uh, of people, uh, somebody who went around and tried to find meaning in life and all these things, but, and, and came to the conclusion that there maybe is no meaning to life. Yeah, so there's a basic philosophical thing to say about this. That if I'm only turned inward or into my society to find truth, meaning, uh, right and wrong, legality, anything, it's all just a, it's all just a, it's moving. It's, it, this is what Heraclides says, I can't step in the same river twice because once I step back out, it's flowing. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no reference point. <clears throat> so what we're all after is an absolute reference point that we can all see. It's like the sun. I cannot see the person in Moore Park right now, but we can both see the sun. We have a reference point, right? I don't know what that person looks like. He doesn't look, know what I look like, but we both know what the sun looks like. And so if, I, if I'm trying to find you know, common ground with somebody, I may not know you, right? I don't, and who says that your opinion is better than my opinion? But if we can both look to the sun, a reference point, then we can, we can move on. Well, that sun is, the, is, the, is God, and not just for morality, right? It's always wrong to do this no matter your culture, but also just for truth. And, and notice that if you don't have that sun, then you don't have truth or morality anymore, and then you're left with only victim and oppressor. Not about right and wrong. Now the problem with the victor and oppressor is who gets to decide that that's even wrong if I oppress somebody? since there's no morality, and the only solution to victim and oppressor is that the victim takes over and becomes the oppressor, and the oppressor becomes the victim, and then you still have the same problem. And by the way, this is, this is not something me being cheeky. This is what philosophers will have said for, for decades. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, don't be a jerk. I, you know, I know. No, so um, I, I think that was, I think choose life is a good thing because you have the word life in there and you're saying that's life. And I, and I think that I, I could still see that being, being beneficial because God is the one who gives life and takes it away, by the way, right? But remember, God always uses instruments. He always uses means. So, for instance, I mean, just think about this, moms, that you were not just creating flesh in your, in your womb, but a soul. Dang. God used you to create something out of nothing, including the spiritual. Yeah. So, he used you to do that, and gave you great honor and power. And he is saying, choose life. Because now if you're going to choose death, you have usurped your power. The, 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 the power I gave you, that honored you, right now you're going to take it away. So I think we can still, still use that in the right way. Of course, the abortion debate all comes down to, do you think it's a life or not? I mean, we can be critical of both sides, by the way. Like, the... the, the the Christian right has 
shot itself in its foot sometimes on this. And by the way, I'm, I'm leaving, so I can say <laughs> Evangelicals were not pro-life until the 70s. Even Christianity today has, has uh, they, were, they were wishy-washy on abortion for a long time. That was a Catholic thing. So it, the, the, the right to life was, grew up in a political milieu, right? And I, and I think there are people who rightfully say, you care about life on the inside of the womb, but not on the outside of the womb, and you're hypocritical, and I don't want to listen to you. And I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair criticism, right? But at the same time, Boy, you got to jump through. You have to ignore a lot of science. You have to ignore all of philosophy and most of religion to get to the point where you say that's not a human life. Like, I don't know what else it could be. And even if you didn't know for sure, seems to me you want to err on the side of life and not death. Right? This is not a hard concept. Right? That was a good, good comment. They're hungry, Noah. we got to go. Let's end with prayer. How about that? Uh, Heavenly Father, you have made us in a wonderful way. You have given us your image, and that means that we have valuable, that we have value. And so no matter what the world says about me personally, about our group, about our tribe, about whatever, we know that our value rests in you and your love for us. We thank you for restoring that perfect image of God in the blood of Christ so that we can live forever forever truly in your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.